This program is sponsored by the Codley Foundation, based in Los Angeles, California. The Codley Foundation is dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Science Clear and Vivid. Conversations about curiosity, discovery, and innovation. And it was an exciting time. Everybody was excited. We we thought we had found it, but we didn't know much about it. We still don't right now. Uh, where all the things have yet have yet to be understood. Um, but definitely, it made me really happy of my choice of really embarking into becoming a particle physicist. That's Caterina Vernieri talking about the discovery of a mysterious particle whose existence had been predicted 50 years ago by a man called Peter Higgs. The hope is that this particle, called the Higgs boson, will explain why most of the rest of the fundamental particles that make up you and me and everything else in the universe have mass. Katerina is now one of the leading researchers trying to understand how the Higgs boson actually works. I'm really looking forward to talking to you because you work in a field that is so complex that I'm hungry to understand it better. And it's, it's the invisible world. What got you interested in some of the smallest things in the universe? Why did you, you, you grew up on the Amalfi Coast? You had sun and the sea and pasta and wine. Why did you want to go deeper than that? Yeah, sometimes I ask myself that too. <laughs> uh, I've always been very curious to understand like nature fundamentally, and I think that uh, physics, and in particular my field, which is particle physics, really satisfied that curiosity because we were really going after fundamental question about how the universe evolved in the way we look at it right now, and. And I think I really got into particle physics when I saw one of the experiments uh, for the first time that was trying to analyze uh, the collisions of the accelerator in Chicago. And it was such a complex object and millions of cables getting out of it and a lot of scientists cooperating around the world, around the clock in order to understand uh, the results of those experiments. And I just realized I want to be part of it, uh, that it's an amazing field where everybody can contribute and answering fundamental question that I was very hungry for having an answer. How, how old were you when you started working on these problems? Um, that was my first summer internship when I was 20. And you entered a field full of males, all of them, most of them much older than you. What did that feel like? Did it give you any special problems you had to overcome? Um, well, definitely the fact that I was the youngest for a lot of time uh, has given me like just the push to look at everybody else as potential mentor, somebody that I could ask questions to and so on. When I was younger, um, everybody has been always very generous to, to train the next generation of scientists. And the fact that I was one of the few women um, sometimes just made me myself aware that I should proactively look for mentorship and things like that, because naturally there was not somebody, you know, I could look up for. Not many women I could look up for for mentorship because yes, there were not many. Right. So you didn't have um, you didn't have somebody who could advise you on how to navigate 
among people who were not used themselves to uh, to working with a woman as much as they were with men. You did you were you lacking in somebody who could mentor you in that? Or yeah. Did you have somebody? Yeah, um, I had to find my own way, and um, and over the t- over time, I think also our field, especially in the context of big collaboration, people have become more aware of that, and they trying to collectively discuss how they can do a better job in mentorship mm. young women in the field yeah. uh, in order to avoid that they would leave. Um, because we do see that in our data, that we have a lot of young women maybe starting as students in our field and then leaving after uh, their PhD or after a short postdoc. So this is something that uh, we're, I think we collectively are more aware about it and there are some actions that are being taken on mentorship young women a little bit more. And myself, I'm trying to do that. Good, good. So while you were at Fermilab in Chicago, you got lit up by the idea of of working on these minute particles. And at that time, there was a hunt going on for perhaps the most famous particle of all, which which still hadn't been found. I'm talking about the Higgs boson. Scientists at CERN in Geneva were using that that huge particle accelerator there, and they were hoping to detect it, right? So it was an exciting time to get into the field because everybody was excited about the fact that we would get very close finally uh, to have the potential to discover this new particle that uh, was predicted they were expecting to to observe. So I decided then to to start my PhD with an experiment at Ellipsy, and I spent some time at Geneva. And that was like uh, right uh, shortly before the announcement of the discovery of the Higgs boson. So that was an exciting time to be. You were there uh, right before the announcement? Yes. And and so you were in the room when they did that wonderful press conference? I was not in the room. I was in Italy in that particular week. Um, but I, was, I joined the experiment six months before uh, the discovery was announced. And it was an exciting time. Everybody was so excited. We... We thought we had found it, but we didn't know much about it. We still don't right now. Uh, we are, all the things have yet, have yet to be understood. Um, but definitely it made me really happy of my choice of really embarking into becoming a particle physicist. That must have been exciting. Six months after you start working at CERN, the, the, all your all your hopes and expectations are realized. You, were you watching the press conference from Italy and jumping up and down like the people were? Yeah, yeah, there? yeah, yeah. It was. I was watching the press conference, and I was supposed to give a talk the day after uh, an outreach talk to a high school student um, that my university was hosting. So, and I was so excited. I decided to change the topic and add more about the Higgs boson. <laughs> and I told them about why they should have been excited um, about the breakthrough just announced the day before. Yeah. So, tell me about the device that helped everybody understand that there was a Higgs boson and that it did what they thought it was going to do. Am I right that you're not, you're not catching the Higgs particle floating through space the way they're trying to catch neutrinos? You're trying to create Higgs bosons in this accelerator. Is that right? You smash 
I guess, protons yes. together, accelerate them in a big circle and until they go faster and faster and faster, and then you make them hit, and stuff comes out. And some of that stuff is the Higgs. Yes, that's beautifully said, yes. And sometimes uh, once in a billion of collision at the LHC in Geneva, we produce an Higgs boson. And How long does it take to get a billion collisions? Well, is that something that happens in a second or, or hours or days or what? Um, uh, we collide protons uh, 30 million times per second. So we really uh, try to, to use to make the best use of our time. Uh, otherwise, yes, the probability of producing an Higgs boson is so low that it can take hundreds of years if we would not be uh, colliding protons that fast uh, wow. and that often. And um, yeah, and then once we produce an Higgs boson, um, it's basically invisible to our eyes because it decays shortly after into lighter particles. And the standard model, which is the theory we refer to that, uh, um, that describes um, uh, so far, uh, it's the most accurate description of the fundamental laws of nature. So we refer to it. So the standard model tells us the probability of the Higgs boson to decay to lighter particles and which one. So we have... Oh, wait, would you go over that again? I didn't quite get that. The standard model tells us what? The probability of the Higgs boson to decay uh, to different kind of particles. So it oh, the Higgs, that's right. I remember reading that the Higgs boson decays pretty quickly too, yes. doesn't it? Yes. And it de decays into quarks or what? A bunch of different things. It can decay mostly to uh, quarks with the flavor of beauty, uh, called B quarks. And the flavor of beauty. This, this, <laughs> this is what I love about quarks. They're so imaginatively named. Yes. So... I've read and heard many times, and it's going to take a few more times for me to really get it, that there's this sea of this field called the Higgs field, mm -hmm. and that almost every other particle that moves through that field reacts with it in different ways. The ones that react the most to it have what we call mass, mm -hmm. the ones that react to the field as they move through it, less have what we call less mass or, no, or almost no mass, right, so yeah. far? And that's what actually it's very special about the Higgs field, the fact that it's non-zero everywhere all the time. And this is a very specific and very peculiar property of the Higgs field that we are trying now to test more with Adelaide Sig with our data. Um, because no other field in nature behaves like that. Uh, Non-zero, all the time, everywhere. And it's uh, very mysterious on why it behaves this way. And that's the puzzle we are trying to solve now. Hmm. The analogy that's often used to explain the reaction of particles to the Higgs field is molasses. Mm -hmm. That it has a harder time moving through molasses and therefore has... It's a way of understanding that it has mass, I guess. But in a talk you gave, I got a better understanding of it because it's not always molasses to every particle. Some particles interact with it in a way that's like molasses, but other particles interact with it in a way that's like water mm -hmm. or less. What's the nature of that interaction? In principle, as you said, uh, 
stronger is the interaction with the Higgs field, more inertia the particle acquires. So, um, so basically, we have different particles in nature, and those that are more massive, they have a stronger coupling with the Higgs boson, which means that um, experimentally, the probability of uh, the probability of observing the interaction of this particle with the Higgs boson should be higher too. So, and this is how experimentally we're also testing this mechanism and verifying that. Uh, this proportionality between the strength of the interaction of the partic different particles, the X fields, corresponds to the, to the fact that those particles also have higher mass. Um, and experimentally, this is something we have started testing in the last 10 years, and we have verified that uh, first order, for some of the particles we have been able to test, uh, this proportionality is, uh, is actually being measured. The standard model that you've been talking about, that dates back to the 70s, does it? 1970s? Yes. 60s. And that was, as I understand it, was an understanding that was agreed on by most physicists that showed how three of the four forces interact and are tied together mathematically. You can you you can understand things about them mathematically, but the one thing, one force that didn't fit into that was gravity. Exactly. Does the Higgs boson change that in any way? Are you going to find out something about Higgs that changes the standard model? Okay. This is um, two steps question. Um, yes, and the fact that gravity is not part of the theory is one of the reasons why we know that um, the standard model uh, he is not a complete theory of nature, and there should be something beyond the standard model. It can, can unify uh, in gravity with the description of the microscopic world, and also probably giving us a better, um, better understanding of why gravity behaves the way it does. Um, and the Higgs boson was predicted in the 60s and has the mechanism uh, that would explain how particles would acquire mass. It was an important um, piece that was missing from our experimental observation that does the excitement because it confirms the mechanism through which particle acquirements that was predicted um, more than 50 years before its discovery. So now the Higgs boson, I think it's a very special particle because it's very unique in its nature. And even the Higgs mechanism in the theory, he is not really, um, some part of it are not really derived from first principle, like the standard model doesn't tell us why the Higgs field is non-zero everywhere all the time. So there must be something beyond the standard model. And the Higgs boson, understanding the Higgs boson and measuring its properties could be a way to identify discrepancy with the theory um, that in all new interactions, new particles that interact with the Higgs boson that could actually potentially guide us towards what's next mm. and potentially a unified theory where gravity would be part of it. Yeah, this is so fascinating. I, it makes me hungrier and hungrier to understand it because every time I, I get some understanding by the coattail, I, I, uh, I want to get the whole thing. Well, that's probably how you feel too, but yeah, you're really in the middle of it. Yeah, and there are many things to really understand. Um, like we can describe 
but we don't really know, for instance, like the Higgs boson mechanism and how it gives plastic particles. We can describe it, um, but there it's not derived from first principles. So um, the curiosity is always on and to know more, understand more. And that's probably the thing I like the most about my job. When we come back from our break, Katerina Vernieri tells me what it's like to be leading a team that's building a new billion-pixel camera for the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation, with a mission to advance science for the benefit of humanity. The Foundation's mission is implemented internationally through a constellation of Kavli Institutes that support scientists who conduct basic, curiosity-driven research in astrophysics, theoretical physics, nanoscience, and neuroscience. And also by the Kavli Prize, which honors scientists for breakthroughs in these fields that transform our understanding of the very big, astrophysics, the very small, nanoscience, and the very complex, neuroscience. And the mission of the Kavli Foundation is also implemented by programs that support public engagement with science, enhancing how society encounters and interacts with science and uses science in their daily lives. This is Science Clear and Vivid. And now back to my conversation with Katerina Vernieri and how the Higgs boson could totally upend the world of physics. It's been said that this could lead to new physics. Mm-hmm. Can you Do you have a handle on what that might mean? What... What kind of new physics? What would be suggested by by this? Yeah, we're looking after um, new particles, new interactions um, that could essentially, even new forces uh, that can reconcile the things, the mysteries that are not explained from the standard model that can tell us uh, and give us an insight of understanding dark matter, for instance, and how gravity uh, interact microscopically with the quantum world. Um, So there are many things that we cannot explain where new physics beyond the standard model can potentially give us an answer. And it could be in the form of new particles that we might discover at LHC. Um, And uh, and that would be be great. It would be really something uh, that uh, a clear sign on something beyond the standard model. Uh, And understanding that the properties of this new particle can help understand which kind of forces then could explain that. And our friends' theories could, could... like help us putting together this puzzle. Um, but I'm an experimentalist, so I just trust the data. I don't have a favorite theory beyond the standard model. Uh, we just do all our measurements. We look in our data everywhere and any possible sign of new physics, and that will lead us on whatever is next. And speaking of measurements, did you create a new algorithm to study the Higgs boson? Did I get that right as I was reading about you? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so years back, I was really interested in studying the Higgs boson decay to B quarks. And uh, I developed a new algorithm 
that it was essentially identifying Higgs boson produced a very high energy uh, where these big quarks were like on top of each other and uh, identifying the signatures from the background. And uh, that was quite fun. And we put together one of the first search, um, uh, one of the first measurements looking at the Higgs boson production of very high momentum, which is a very peculiar signature because it can study the Higgs boson production when in those events where it's produced a very high energy. Uh, it's essentially also a door to potential new phenomena, new physics effect. Um, so that was quite a fun adventure. The device that you use to study these particles is called a camera, but it's not a camera in no. the way that we understand the word, right? What, what, what's the difference between this kind of camera and what we think of as a camera? Yeah, and to make it more confusing, we call it pixel detector, so we also have the word pixel in it. <laughs> so. Is it the kind of pixel that I'm looking at you on now? Not really, not really, but it's in principle. Um, so in it, as we were saying at the very beginning, those particles, when we create them, they're basically invisible. So the way we track them down is by seeing, um, by recording how these particles interact with different layer of um, cameras or detector. So the one I'm working on is essentially the first layers of cameras, and it's essentially... Um, placed uh, closest to the interaction region, and it's made of silicon sensors, and they detect charged particles. Um, so a charged particle uh, passes through this layer and uh, leaves, a leaves an electrical signal that we detect and we track back in order to identify and reconstruct uh, our interactions. And the, the thing is that closer you are to the interaction region, you have lots of particles being produced in very short time because we collide protons 40 million times per second. So this camera is very challenging because it cannot be just a phone. We need to have uh, something that can, can take pictures very fast and, and also be able to distinguish, to have a very high granularity to distinguish particles that are produced very close by. And the one we are building now, uh, the lab as luck where I work, essentially we have granularity of 25 microns, which is basically uh, thinner than a hair. Um, mm. So it's, uh, and it's very, those are very special instruments because they have to cope with a high rate of collisions that is typical of our experiment at LHC, and as well have a very good precision in order to fully reconstruct our event and identifying events from exposons from those events that are uninteresting that we call background. As you work on these really hard-to-figure-out problems, there are a lot of you working on it together. What's a day like for you? Are you working by yourself, going over data? Are you working with teams? And it's a huge number of people working at, at these colliders. How do you all communicate? That's very interesting. Uh, my day-to-day -day is different um, every day, every week, because I work on different projects. I have, um, I'm leading the team of Slack here where we're, building the first prototype of what will be the future camera 
uh, of the experiment at LHC. And there I'm working with engineers, technicians, and a team of students and postdocs uh, in order to come work on the design, on the prototype, on the testing of the prototype. And it's, uh, it's very interesting. And then I'm also involved into the analysis of the data of LHC, where we're looking to understand better the properties of the exposons, where I work with students, grad and undergrad, postdocs, and um, sometimes uh, people are all, like, we were all working from home, right, until, uh, until now, and we have been able to be in touch uh, over Zoom with our collaborators at CERN as well. So we always have been doing a pretty good job in being able to collaborate across the world with LHC experiments um, by having meetings over the virtual world and traveling uh, every couple of months to be in Geneva in order to meet in person and foster more discussion. Um, and that's the part I like also very much, the fact that I'm collaborating with extremely brilliant scientists all the time uh, from all over the world. And it's the, one of the things I enjoy the most about my job. What do you think about in terms of what's next? Where do you think you can go from here? Well, um, there is... A couple of things I think are very exciting at this point. Uh, we have collected at this point about 8 millions of exposons. And um, this is seems a lot, but it's not that many for all the properties of these are particles that we need to study. So there are, in, for instance, we have not uh, come close yet to measure and observe the Higgs boson self-interaction, so those events where two Higgs bosons are produced. So I think what's next now is to really um, collect more Higgs bosons and finalize the understanding of this particle that might take more years. And for this reason, it's why we're building more precise instruments right now that we'll install in Geneva and Switzerland uh, as part of an upgrade of our camera uh, in the next coming years in order to enhance our um, our potential to um, study explosions and look for unexpected events at LHC where new particles might be detected. So I think in the next five to ten years, that's what's next. And of course, at LHC, um, we're trying to understand better uh, particle interactions, and we, we say we recreate the conditions right after the Big Bang um, by colliding protons of very high energy. Mm. But if we will be able to increase the energy of those collisions, then we will go, we will move the clock a little bit closer to the Big Bang, mm. and maybe we'll be able to see more things. Um, so I think what will be very exciting is any breakthrough in our technology right now uh, that would enable us in the next couple of decades to really plan for the next big machine that will allow us to go higher in energy and uh, get closer to the Big Bang in time. Well, you're young and curious and armed with great understanding of what you're after and what you're doing. So the next 20 years or more should be an exciting time for you and for the rest of us in terms of what you're able to discover. That's just great. We're at the end of our 
time, but we always end our show with seven quick questions, roughly to do with science. A couple of these first questions we sort of covered, but let's maybe dig a little deeper. What What was the first thing you remember being curious about in your life? Can Why you remember? the sky was blue. Why the sky was blue? You literally wondered that. Yeah. Did you did you did you get a good answer, or did, did you, it take you a while to get an answer to it that? It took me a while. It took me the first class of physics. Um, uh, my mom didn't didn't answer that because it's blue. Yeah. <laughs> what made you want to be a scientist? Do you, do you remember the moment where you said that's for me? Um. I think, again, when I was a child, I was looking at this, I was watching this popular science TV show in Italy, and uh, that would feature scientists, and I just decided I want to be one of them, uh, studying something for the first time, and I was curious of, and building my own tools for it. Uh, what part of your research do you enjoy doing the most? Ah, it's a very interesting question. Um I guess probably it's it's when I understand better what kind of technology we need and work a little bit on developing some of this technology in order to enhance our um, our experiment. It's so interesting. I hear that more and more that the, the there's a lot of excitement in developing the tool to do the work. I hadn't heard that as much earlier. I'm hearing it more now. That's interesting. As a scientist, what was the best moment you've ever had? The Higgs boson discovery. Yeah, I bet. Um, an exciting time. And what was your worst moment? 2015 summer, after the first um, results of the LHC run at higher energy, we were all hoping that by doubling the energy of the proton collision of the LHC from 8 to 13 TV, uh, we were able to get um, close to fine new particles. And I spent six months look, without sleeping, working around the clock, looking everywhere for signs of new physics in our data, and there was nothing. And that was a little bit disappointing um, because it would have meant that if new particle exists would take longer to discover them because we need way more data. Um, so now I'm excited again, um, but for a couple of months I was not. It's so interesting. It, it seems very valuable to find nothing. Mm -hmm. And yet it doesn't feel good when you find nothing. Yeah, because we are scientists and we knew what that meant at that point, that we, if we didn't find much new things by doubling the, the beam energy, then it would have taken way more data to find it. Um, so it's, uh, and it's, uh, it's still exciting, but after working for six months around the clock, uh, we were all hoping to see something in our data. Yeah. What gives you confidence? Um, the fact I know I can figure it out, um, that with patience and hard work, I can find a solution. Mm, mm. And the last question, how do you think we can help more people enjoy a love of science? I think what you're doing is great. Um, <laughs> Thank you. 
opportunity like this podcast where you discuss with scientists about their science and having uh, the possibility to really talk more about our science and why we do it, I think uh, would be a great way to uh, fill the gap between the scientists and the rest of the people. Mm, that's great. Well, I hope you hope you get more chance to do that. Well, you're you. doing such interesting work and you're so enthused about it. That enthusiasm is understandable by everybody. Thank you for spending this time with me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Same for me. Very honored to be here with you today. It was uh, a great conversation. You know a lot thanks. about science and physics. One second at a time, it comes out of me. Then I, then I have to figure it out all over again from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been Science Clear and Vivid. My thanks to the Kavli Foundation for sponsoring these conversations about how breakthroughs in science, technology, and medicine often begin with simple curiosity, asking of nature, why is that? Katerina Bernieri is a Panofsky Fellow and Associate Scientist at the SLAC National Accelerator Laboratory in Menlo Park, California. She's responsible for the construction of the new Atlas Pixel Inner Tracker Detector. That's a giant camera that will snap pictures 10 times faster in the planned upgrade of the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Chedd, with help from our associate producer, Jean Chimay. Our sound engineer is Erica Huang, and our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Next time on Science Clear and Vivid, I talk with Daphne Shahomi. She's a memory researcher who sees memories as much more than static recollections of the past. I think one of the exciting things to realize in, in research and in life is is exactly how pervasive memory is. That it's really not just about creating a long-lasting record of an event from the past, uh, but that is very much uh, sort of a behavioral whisper, a source of information that helps us deal with the present, helps us understand what we're seeing and doing, and helps us make plans for the future as well. Daphne Shahomi and our creative memories next time on Science Clear and Vivid. For more details about Science Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid. And I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.